Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. I get to lead alongside of my wife, Lee. I don't know if you notice the weather outside, but our team, we hung out outside because it was warm. It's like mucky and who cares? Because there's just this glimmer that summer is coming, that spring is coming. There's hope on the horizon. We are excited. I don't know how you're feeling, but like I'm pretty, I'm just kind of sick of, I'm sick of feeling cooped up. I just want to go, like I was looking at flights to places, like where can we go? I just want to go places. So it's good to have you with us. We're glad, whether you're engaging online or you're in the room, we're glad that you are with us for this series at Collective Church. We're working through the book of Luke the way of Jesus through the book of Luke. And one of the things, if you've been around for any length of time that you've heard me say, whether you're in person or online, is this word engaging. Like I'll say to the people online, if you're engaging online, that word is specific. Because I could say if you're watching online, but do you know there's a difference between watching and engaging Even for us as Christians, there's a difference between observing and engaging. And so one of the things that we've done is we've created a journal that allows you to engage with Scripture, not just once a week. Okay, Scripture, even as we engage with Scripture, part of that is coming to the bread of life and actually feasting. If we eat once a week, I think we are pretty hungry the rest of the week. Right? Like if you do one meal a week... The rest of the week, you're starving. Well, spiritually, that's what happens if the only time that we engage with your scripture is through someone else on a Sunday. And so we created a journal so that you could actually engage with the gospel of Luke, the way of Jesus, and beautifully allow God to speak to you. And so I want to encourage you. We just updated it for March. We're doing it a month at a time to hop on our website. You'll see it on the main page and to engage with the way of Jesus and what God wants to share with us. If you were here or if you weren't here, I want to just give a little bit of a summary of a couple of weeks past. Sometimes you can say things, and even for me, I'm always, I preach, and then I'm thinking about the next week, and sometimes I forget, oh yeah, I said that on Sunday. And so I want to just point out a theme. We've looked through three different chapters of Luke, And two weeks ago, I talked about scattering the seeds. If you were here, you probably remember it because there was grass seed everywhere. This reminder that we scatter the seed. Last week, I was talking about Jesus and his interaction with three people and the limits of their commitment. But there was this verse where Jesus is talking about if you put your hands to the plow, don't look back, just keep going forward. Okay, so scattering the seed... And hands to the plow. There's this agricultural or horticultural theme that we see Jesus building. 
Now, some of us in the room were very familiar with farming and farms, but some of us were like, this is like a whole different ball game. For Jesus in his time, this would speak powerfully. And I think even for us, even if we're not super familiar with farming, there's elements of this that we can connect with. And so again today, almost like is a mini-series within a series, we find a passage that dovetails beautifully with this metaphor of agriculture, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And if you check out, which is hard to do because I'm loud, if you check out, I just want you to be thinking work and risk. Work and risk. Work and risk. Let's pray before we dig in. God, I pray that you would be the one that speaks. We don't come to hear my words, my thoughts, my preparation. God, we need you. So speak through me. I am so grateful that you use imperfect people. I am grateful that your message is exceptional, but the messengers are not. God, we come to you in need of you. Heal us. Heal our land. Draw us closer. And I pray that in these moments that we would experience you, not just the idea of you, but tangibly experience your presence. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and Jesus is sending out a bunch of his followers. We are familiar, if we've been in church for any length of the time, that there are disciples. There are these 12 guys that spend the majority of their time with Jesus. They're close. Like, they're with him all the time. But there were, there were kind of layers of leadership around Jesus. And so there are 72 people that are close to Jesus, learning from him, apprentices to his way, following him that he is interacting with. And so he's just talked to them about the cost of following Jesus. That's what last week we talked about. The idea that following Jesus is difficult and hard and it's, there's a cost. And then he sends them out. He sends them with purpose and with instruction. And so Luke 10, 2 to 3 says this. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Jesus is reminding his followers of something that is central to what it means to follow Jesus. Central. The reminder that we are sent. That his followers are sent. This is why at every single service that I end, I remind us that we gather so that we can scatter. That we are together so we can Go, that it's important that we understand that the nature of following Jesus is that we are sent people. We are not people that get to sit and wait, just waiting for heaven to come, just getting comfortable. We are not people that get to get complacent. We are sent people, that his followers then and today are sent people. And as we are sent, what I love about Jesus is Jesus is a brilliant leader. Sometimes we don't notice it because we're like, oh, okay, yeah, of course, that's what he says. But there are still thousands and thousands of leaders that are sharing wisdom that they are saying is new, 
that Jesus exemplified 2,000 plus years ago. One of my favorite books is Simon Sinek's Start With Why. It's this book that reminds us of the power of why. See, we can tell someone to do something. Hey, you need to go do something. And we can tell them what to do. We can even tell them how to do it. But when we tell them why what they're doing matters, suddenly your motivation changes. Now, I love that book because it speaks to this beautiful power of our why to encourage us forward. So Simon Sinek is writing this book and he's synthesizing these ideas and you're going, yeah, this is brilliant. But Jesus understood this 2,000 years ago. He understood that we don't just send people out. We're not just sending followers out. We're also reminding them why we're sending them out. Jesus attaches why to what he is doing. When we planted Collective Church, Lee and I moved across the country. We had a, I had a job at a church and it was secure, and, but we began to sense this calling. What does it look like to plant a, a church? And when we actually came here, we had, we had a team of about six people and we needed to recruit a lot more. And so we went and talked to everyone about what we were doing, like strangers in coffee shops. I mentioned it, I think, last week or two weeks. Like, we went to this one place, Life of Leisure, talked to the stranger, and he's here. Jordan is here because of that conversation. But we went around and we talked to whoever, and part of what it looked like is we had to actually clarify our why. If we get limited time with people, they're asking, like, why would you move across the country? Why would you do this? You're going to start a church? Is that possible? I thought churches just exist. They're like hundreds of years old in buildings, and there's like eight old people. Like, I, you're allowed to start churches? You're allowed to do that? People would be asking, like, why are you doing that? We had to be thinking consistently about our why. Because at the end of the day, people are asking, so why should I get involved? And for us, our, our why was anchored in people. I was sitting in my basement and I was reading stats about, about London and the census and over 400,000 people in London, over 100,000 people that, that say, according to the census, say, I have no religious affiliation, nothing. Not that they're not Christians, they just have no, nothing. And then over 100,000 people to live by themselves. And so we have 100,000 people that aren't connected with the one who created them and 100,000 who aren't connected with each other. And so we looked at that and went, this is why we are willing to risk for this because people matter because we know what that is like lee came to faith through that process and so we looked through through the the process of being a kind of church at another church that cared about people that were lost and so we're going okay so we know that there are hundreds of thousands of people that don't yet know jesus how do we reach them and the most effective way is through planting new churches this is why as collective church Listen, COVID has definitely at multiple times had other plans, but we want to be a church that multiplies. We want to be a church that's thinking about planting. We want to be a church that's thinking about how do we continue to reach people because that's effective, but it's also why we exist. It's our why we do what we do because there are hundreds of thousands of people that don't yet know Jesus and we can do something about it. Jesus doesn't just send out pastors or professional Christians. He sends us in our imperfections, our ill-preparedness. He sends 
us. He sends us as heralds. He sends us as messengers. Romans 10, 13 to 15 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Notice that word. That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. We did a whole series on this about a a year ago that we are messengers, this reminder that we are messengers. And I want to remind us again that we are sent, that Jesus sends us every single day, every moment that will allow him to. When we're at work, when we're at home, wherever we're positioned, he is sending us to places that he is at work. And Jesus is reminding his disciples and he's reminding us I'm sending you out because the harvest is great. This means that there are actually people in your orbit right now that are one or two or ten conversations away from following Jesus. The harvest was great then and the harvest continues to be great. If we have eyes to see it, If we have eyes to see that God is already at work, that God is changing people, drawing people close, he's molding them and shaping them and preparing them for following him. I mean, that was the experience for Lee. We worked together and Lee was talking about this friend that kept inviting her to church and it was so weird. And and I was like, oh, dang, I, I like her. And this person kept inviting her to church, and over time, one day, Lee, without telling anyone, went, and her life was changed, and she surrendered herself, her life to Jesus then, because she was ready, because the harvest was great. And I always look at that and go, how quickly do we give up And that friend that was consistent? And so for us, if we just understand that God is already at work, Like he's already working and preparing people. All we have to do is be willing to say yes to moments that he's already orchestrating. And yet how easy is it for us to go, I'm not I'm not ready. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I I don't know if I can do it. And I think sometimes part of it is we get stuck in this pattern of thinking that we somehow have to force it. Like if you're if you're calling and make sure it's it's actually uh, confirmed by some wise people. If your calling is to like go to Victoria Park and approach strangers and tell them about Jesus, that's actually what God's at. Go do that. But for most of us, that is not our model. <laughs> We're not going to go up to strangers going, have you met my friend Jesus? And they're like, they're like oh, uh, hi, I'm Tyler. I've had it. I've had people come up to me in malls and just go after it. And you're like, I guess I respect it, but hi, I'm Tyler. This is my wife, Lee. Like, there's no, we have relationships that we're building. But some of us are forever in the place of building the relationship that we never actually step into moments that God's inviting us to move, to risk something, to get to work. But we have to be reminded. And I think that this is one of the beautiful things is we remind ourselves over time, over and over and over again, God is already at work. So this illusion that you think you need to force something is an illusion. God is already at work. 
God is at work in you. God is at work in other people. All we have to do is be sensitive to what he wants to do and be willing to say yes. He's the one that changes lives. He's the one that changes hearts, but he uses us in our imperfection. And when we do that, when we say yes, we cannot take credit for it. Like when we have conversations with people, it's not like we sit and go, man, it was because I really nailed that argument. Oh man, I was really effective. No, you go, God, it was you. You did the work. You did the heavy lifting. But that does not abdicate our responsibility in the process. It requires that we actually invest intentionally. Maybe you've heard the the word discipleship, and if you've been around collective, you're increasingly hearing the word apprenticeship. This idea of apprenticing under Jesus, actually allowing him to change us every single day, every single moment. And so we trust that God is at work, but we don't also get to abdicate our responsibility And part of our responsibility is reflecting, am I actually an apprentice? Like, am I living like an apprentice of Jesus? Does my life actually look like I say it should look? Am I actually living like a disciple? Can anyone else tell? Or is it just in my secret places and my hidden things and no one else can notice? Do I actually look like a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple of of Jesus. And part of the nature of being an an apprentice or a disciple is that we are required to be apprentices that make other apprentices. We are called to be disciples who make disciples. Some of us want to become professional disciples, and we're not so set on actually being disciple makers. We go, you know what, I just need to become a better Christian, then maybe I'll do it. But that's not how that works. I mean, even if you look at Jesus with his followers, 12 guys, they're a mess. Like, it's like six steps forward, 27 steps back, and then they go in different directions, and you're like, wow, what is, they're not finished product. But what you continually see is this willingness to try and risk and work and do and apply And so for some of us, we become professional disciples, but we have not been people who make other disciples. And part of it is there's been a pattern in the church, in the history of the church, where it's like, that's for professionals. Like Tyler has his master's, so he probably knows so much, and he can just do it, and I'll just, I'll show up, and I'll do whatever. But that's not how this works. It's all of us. Like, here's the thing. So the, Jesus talks about the, the church, and we see it in the, the New Testament, the church being a body. You know who the head of the body is? Jesus. It's not a pastor. It's not a professional Christian. It's Jesus. He's the head. So guess what? We're all body. Me, all of us. Every time that we're like, well, that's for other people. No, it's for us. We are meant to be disciples who make disciples. We are meant to be apprentices who make other apprentices. And so it changes how we engage with what what are called spiritual practices or disciplines. Like reading the Bible. If we we think of ourselves like professional uh, professional Christians or we're going to become professional disciples, we read the Bible going, uh, 
this is for me, and maybe I'll do it, or maybe I won't. But if we are thinking all the time about what does it look like to make disciples, we need to read the Bible, because we're going, I don't have it. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm messing up. I need you. Speak to me. Change me. Confront me. Move me. We read the Bible with a different kind of lens, and we need it. I think sometimes that is why we get into this rhythm. We're like, I haven't touched the Bible. I'm blowing dust off of it for a long time. Because we're not living in a way that actually requires that we actually need God to speak. We're doing things on our own. I'll take it from here. But that's not what we're intended to do. That is not what Jesus is inviting us into. We do need to be reminded consistently that he is at work in our midst. And as we engage with scripture, we're reminded that he is at work in us, and when we say yes, through us. And in that process, we do not allow it to create complacency or passivity. Instead, we recognize God is doing his part, and so I get to do mine. I get to partner with him. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be part of People finding Jesus? Don't you want to partner with Jesus in the renewal of everything? Like, don't you want to give your life to see people actually discover hope and healing and not just for now, but forever? Don't you want to be part of that? At Collective Church, we have guiding principles. We call them values. It's ways for us to recognize, okay, this is what's important to us. These are our values. These are what we hold as guiding principles as we make certain decisions. And one of our values is urgency. We say it like this. Time is short and there is work to do. We want to make our lives count. We are part of the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known. This is one of the things that we hold as so significant. And there have been moments through COVID that you're like, how do we do that? What does it look like to do that? We hold on to this urgency. Time is short. There is work to do. We have no guarantees. And we want to make our lives actually count. We do not want to just take space up and just roll through, live for whatever, buy more stuff, live for the weekend. We don't want that. We want to make our lives count. Why? Because we are part of the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known. We get to be part of rescuing people from false saviors, from lies, from destruction, we get to point them to, we sung about it, to living hope. And his name is Jesus. We get to be part of that. Now, I talked briefly about apprenticeship, and I've said this a few times, but I've, I've noticed, we are t Jeff and Jody and I were talking at some point about leadership and so much of leadership being reminding, not even necessarily new things. I notice that in my own life. It's not like, oh, I've never heard that before. There are just times that you're like, yeah, I know that. I'm not doing it. And so I, I want to just remind you, this is what apprenticeship looks like. Ready? Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus and do what he did. Like, sometimes we overcomplicate, and we're going like, oh, man, what, there's so much that I need to do. Well, what does it look like to be with Jesus? 
as we actually engage with Scripture? What does it look like to be with Jesus? What does it look like to become like Jesus? And what does it look like to do what he did? Like Jesus did things like Sabbath. Some of us, we take time and we don't do anything, but we're not doing Sabbath, which is restorative rest. We want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. Here's what that actually means. It means we need to go where he goes. We need to go to the broken, the hurting, the lost, the ones that desperately need him that maybe don't think like us, the ones that are challenging to love. See, we talk about love. I want to love people, but what does Jesus say? Love your enemies. Love does not cost us if we're loving people that agree with us. Love costs us when we have to love people that go, you drive me nuts. And yet, there were times that I was an enemy to Jesus and he gave his life. This is what we live into. This is what it looks like for us. We don't get a pass from that. We go where he's sending us to go. And some of us, we go, you know what, I'll just, I'll, I'll just watch other people do that. That is not the invitation from Jesus, we have an opportunity to call people to a brand new way of life, a completely different kingdom, a completely different way of living. Why? Because Jesus tells us the harvest is great. The harvest is great all around us. There are people who are ready. Like, let that encourage you. If that's true, and I believe it's true because Jesus is talking about it, then how would that change how we live? Like, should that not change the conversations that we have? Should that not change the willingness we have to just talk about even what we did on Sunday? Or if we're in a co-group, why we're in a co-group? Or if we're serving, why we're... Should that not change how we have conversations with people? Because if people are close, and I'm telling you they are, and oftentimes we just don't see it because we're not seeing the harvest with God's eyes. And so what we do is we're like, and, and this is a good step. We're like, okay, God, I'll do what you asked me to do, but I feel like I might poop my pants a little bit while I do it. And you go, good, perfect. And then you know what happens? And I'm telling you from experience, you step out and then you go, Oh, God just did something in spite of me. God just moved. I felt so insecure. Like, I felt like I, I, like, you know, you laugh, but you go, you legitimately go, like, my stomach is turning. I feel sick. I'm stressing. I'm worrying. What if I say it wrong? What if I screw it up? And then we step out and God goes, perfect. Now I can do something. And it was one conversation and someone finds Jesus as a result of that. And that's not just an invitation for pastors, people on the front, for people that have enough, have done enough, know enough. That's an invitation for every single one of us who would call ourselves apprentices of Jesus. That's the invitation that we have. And Jesus is saying the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Have you ever tried, I don't know, anyone else in here really stubborn? Anyone stubborn? Yeah, my stubborn people are like, I'm not really going to say I'm stubborn because I should. I'm stubborn. Like, it's, it's awesome in Lee and I's marriage because uh, I'm loud and she is not, but we are both strong. <laughs> Lee is strong. She just is quiet. She just goes like. <laughs> and so, but anyway, I, I'm stubborn. 
And so if there's things I need to do, if I can do it by myself, like if, because I'm also that level of, or the value of urgency, I want to do things now. Like I'm like, I want to do things now. And it's like, well, you're by yourself, and I don't know if you should do this by yourself. And you're like, I'm going to figure it out. I have a, we have a, a converted garage that is a gym slash office, and when I was redoing it, there were times that I had these four by eight sheets of plywood, and I was by myself, and I was like, I want to do this. And so, like, you ever been in this, or you like drywall? And I've got the drill, like, in my armpit, and I'm pushing it against, and I'm leaning with everything that I have towards the wall, and then I've got the screw in my, in my mouth, and I'm, like, <laughs> trying to... Right? I'm like, I'm going to do it. Here's the problem. I need help. Like the job requires more help. When the harvest is great, the workers are few. What we are called to do as Christians and as the church is too big for just us. It's too much for just a few people to go like, well, I guess I'll do it. It's too much for one church. See, we're part of the church. All of us with different roles, different places, different spaces, all of us looking at the harvest and seeing the harvest and yet recognizing that the workers are few. Like, think about it just from a practical perspective. There are hundreds of thousands of people in London. Like, hundreds of thousands of people that say I have no religious affiliation. If you were to go, how many actually don't, act, don't really know Jesus? 90%? 85%, 95%, I don't know, a lot. Well, can we be a church of 250,000? Maybe, but I don't think so. Is that what God's asking? No, he's saying, I want every single church to reach people and those churches to multiply and plant churches that reach people because the harvest is great. There are a ton of people around us and I want to remind you that in that process, when you're recognizing and you feel the weight of it, and that's good, we're here like, wow, the harvest is great and the workers are few. And again, you settle back into this place like, who am I? I'm so small and insignificant. Can I actually make a difference? We remind ourselves that the message is exceptional even though we are ordinary. And even as collective, we are reasonably new church that is doing our best. We recognize that there are hundreds of thousands of people around, that there are so many people that don't know Jesus, that the harvest is great. And we want to be workers that do our part. Whatever part that God has for us as a church, we want to do our part. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. There are few workers, but many spectators, many consumers, many people who are comfortable, many people that sit on the sidelines. The harvest is great, but there's a lot of excuses that we make where we go, I, I just, I would rather be critical. I'd rather be complacent. I'd rather just sit and do my own thing. I'd rather complain. And I find that in me. Like I look and go, the harvest is great, and then I settle into, yeah, but it's so much, and there's so many things, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and I have to, again, remind myself of the why. I have to remind myself of the need. The world 
desperately needs workers. Jesus doesn't just use professional Christians. He uses workers. Not consumers, not spectators, workers. And I want you to think about what a worker does. Like when you see a person working, working with their hands, they are toiling. It's not a passive thing where they're like, well, I don't know, it'll probably get done somehow. They're working. There's effort towards that. The workers are few. So what do we do? If we recognize the harvest is great, the workers are few, and you're going, okay, what do we do? need to do? Well, on one level, first and foremost, for those of us who would call ourselves follower of Jesus, we need to resolve to get to work. Like, we need to actually not just say, oh, at some point, maybe I should do that, but we need to say, my yes is on the table. I'm willing to work for you, Jesus. I'm willing to be your worker. I'm willing to do what you ask me to do. Pray the bold and yet difficult prayer, use me, God. It's like a running joke, and I've heard it, where people pray that prayer and then are talking, and they're like, man, I just feel so used by other people. And you go, yeah, but your prayer was, use me, God. At what point did we think that that was going to be for your comfort? Like, God is looking at you going, if you want me to use you and I want to, it's going to be work but it's going to be worth it. So many of us sacrifice for something less. We settle for something less, and I do not believe that is what we are invited to do. We go to work. And think about even just the picture. Like, we're going to work. We're putting on our hard hat. We're putting on our gloves. We're getting our work boot on, boots on. Like, we're strapping in. We're getting ready to go to work. It's not like, I'm going to work, but I don't know, from my couch. Like, we go, I'm going to get to work. But before we actually get to work, we find something in this passage that is so significant. We strap up, get ready to go to work, and Jesus is talking about uh, workers and pray for more workers. So before we even get to work, what do we do? We get on our knees, and we go, God, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to work. I'm willing to go where you want me. But send more. Send more. Send more people that'll work. I want to work with others. I want to go where you want us to go. We need more than just me. We have willingness to go on our own, but also this desperate plea and pleading for Jesus to send more workers. I don't know what it feels like for you sometimes. Sometimes when you pray, it feels like you're just praying to nothing, and you're like, God, are you hearing me? Like, am I just kind of using words and just saying them out loud, or are you actually close? And in this passage, we see something beautiful. Jesus says to, to pray to the Lord of the harvest, the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. As we strap up and we get on our knees and we pray, we aren't just praying to pray, we are praying to the one who is in charge of all of it. The one who has encouraged us, changed us, and wants to use us. We're praying to him. The one who does the heavy lifting. The one who changes hearts. And in that posture of surrender, we remind ourselves that he is in control, and we are not, and we want him to use us. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge 
of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And then verse 3, now go. Not wait, not think, not consider, not even study a little bit more. Go. 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 Get up and actually move. Go where he is inviting you to go. We pray and we go. And we get to work. We embrace the posture of being apprentices to Jesus, recognizing that that process is active. We are being sent. But notice in verse 3, now go and remember. Remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Now think about that word picture, lambs among wolves. That conjures some things. If you're visual at all, you're like, a lamb among wolves. Even if you're thinking about that, is a lamb strong among wolves? No. It's not like a double-muscled lamb going like, I'm ready. (laughs) Come on, wolves. Like, there's none of that. Lamb among wolves. This is the picture that Jesus uses to tell us what it means to go. This is what he's reminding us. It will be, remember, you're being sent out like lambs among wolves. But think about this. It dovetails beautifully with what we see with Jesus. When Jesus came, the Jewish people were praying for a Messiah, a Savior. For thousands of years, they had this picture in their mind of what a Savior would look like what a Messiah would look like. They thought conquering king. They thought strength. If you were to look at a sheep or a lamb or a wolf, they were like, bring the wolf. Because they were occupied by the Roman forces. They were oppressed people, and they're like, come in power. How does Jesus come? Think about the Christmas story. If you're not super familiar with the church, you probably know that Jesus was not in the manger as a fully grown man with a sword. But that's what the Jewish people were asking for. They're like, come as a conquering king, and yet Jesus came as a baby. Jesus' idea of power is opposite to ours. Jesus' idea of strength is opposite to ours. It's the upside-down nature of the kingdom. When he's telling us you are being sent like lambs among wolves, we go, I don't like that. I want to be a wolf too. But Jesus is also described as the good shepherd. And so though we are sent thinking we are weak, we're actually sent where he is strong, where he is guiding and he is caring and he is leading and he is moving. And we look and we're going, I feel like a sheep and I feel so weak. And he goes, yeah, because then you can't take credit for it. You can't think if I just know enough, if I just do enough, say enough, then somehow I'll do enough. Instead, he's going, trust me, go where I ask you to go. A lamb being sent out among wolves is risky, and we are invited to work and risk. This is the reminder for us as apprentices of Jesus that it is this posture of work and risk. You are sent out as a lamb among wolves but he is the good shepherd who is consistently asking do you trust me 
Do you trust that I am at work? In this passage, a couple of verses, we see a powerful snapshot of what it means to actually follow Jesus. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. I want you to reflect on your own life if you are a Jesus follower and go, at some point you were the harvest. Like at some point, whether it was you or your parents or your grandparents or a relative, at some point there was someone in your lineage that was going, I'm, I think I'm ready to follow. And then there was a worker that went, I'm willing to step in. I'm going to work and I'm going to risk. I'm going to risk an awkward conversation. I'm going to risk something maybe not going my way. But because of that work and risk, you found Jesus. This is the invitation. This is what we sit in. And I think sometimes we have been in that. And it's three generations since someone did it. And we just go, you know what? I don't know, it's hard and difficult. This is what it looks like. There are people that need this. You are where you are because someone was willing to work and risk. Not just talk about following Jesus, but follow him to you. Your life was changed. Collective is here because someone did that with Lee. There are people that are part of Collective that had other people that went, I am uncomfortable letting you live your life looking for Jesus and not telling you about him. The harvest is great. The workers are few. And if you've been around for the last few weeks, you might even be going, we get it. Scatter the seed. No limits of commitment. Hand to the plow. Work and risk. We, we get it. You're getting a little bit repetitive. There are people that are outside, and you know we need to reach them. And I, I hear you. The problem is there's a difference between hearing or knowing and doing. And I feel that in my own life, where I can know and know and know, but the power is not in the knowing. The power is in the applying. It's always in the going and doing. He says, go and make disciples. And I go, you know what? Um, maybe like after COVID. Uh, maybe when like things settle down. I, you know, I don't, I'm not ready to be around people. Whatever it is. And we have all these things and find ourselves never quite ready. But the harvest is great. And the workers are few. I want us to be a church that actually does this. Like I, I want you to know for what it's worth. I said at the very beginning of our series, I'm doing this. Like, I'm, I'm really doing this in a way that I have not before, and I'm telling you it is messy and difficult and uh, will raise all sorts of your insecurities, which I think is good, though I don't enjoy it. But I, I just go, I want us to be, and not just say, you should go and be disciples who make disciples. You should work and you should risk. We started the church and we did that and I want that to continue for us. So the question and reflection is, are you praying for workers? Are you saying yes to being a worker? Are you seeing the harvest? Are you seeing the people around you? Do you actually notice what's going around? Are you willing to work? Are you really willing to risk if he asks you to do it? 
If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.